Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. And I, I, I would say that we could probably all amen this or agree that this has happened to us at one time or another. Something good has happened, and then that person lurking in the back, they sneak out, and they come, and they just talk trash, right? They just, just hate and negativity, and you're like, go away, Satan, not today, you know, but there's, we've, we've got somebody in, in our lives like that, and it's like it's their personal mission to just troll us. Maybe it is on social media, you know, that's just full of trolls, but maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe you got some trolls at work. Anybody got any trolls at school? One, a couple people testifying this morning. Um, there's a few trolls at school. Maybe, maybe in your own family. Not going to be too loud about that, except for him over here. Um, he is the troll. No. <laughs> amen. Mom said amen. That's, that's good. Um, maybe, maybe you're sitting next to. We, no, we won't. You brought them to church with you, hoping that they would meet Jesus and their life would be changed, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe, you're, maybe that's what you're hoping for. But we all have someone in our life. That minute you get a little pep in your step, that you got the joy of the Lord in your heart, everything's going good, and they just come in to bring you down. We all have experienced that one time or another. They cannot, uh, haters, they cannot stand a winner. They can't. They can't stand good things to happen in your life. And they look for an opportunity to diminish it or beat it down. Maybe you've experienced this, but we will see today as we look at our text that that is exactly what Elijah is experiencing. Elijah is experiencing that very thing. And so we're just going to jump into the text, 1 Kings chapter 19. And what we're going to do is we're going to read a little bit of chapter 19, and then we're going to jump back to chapter 18 and pick up what we skipped last week to give it context. So starting with verse 1, it says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. So he's a tattletale. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. How would you like that as a memo on Monday morning? Come into your office and that's sitting on your desk. You know, that, that would make for a good Monday. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now it's interesting to me, as I read this text and I think about what Elijah has gone through, <coughs> sorry, that he has just experienced the unbelievable power of God. God has moved in his life and used him to do amazing, amazing things. 
And now he's at this place where he is ready to die. I'm tired of it, God. I can't deal with no more. I can't take this. Just let me die. It reminds me, if you've ever read the story of Jonah and the fish, and, and I'm not sure the timeline of whether this would have been before or after, I assume much after, but if you remember that story, Jonah, once God uses him to, to prophesy to the Ninevites, and the Ninevites had turned from God, and he goes and he tells them, you know, this really kind of pathetic prophecy of God's going to destroy you, turn back to God, and they do. They actually turn back to God and he's so surprised by it. In fact, he's actually mad about it because he wanted them to get the wrath of God. And he's so mad that he decides to go out and lay under a tree and basically just says, God, just let me die. I'd rather die than see these people turn back to you. And that's kind of similar. It makes me think of that as I think of Elijah here. He's like, I would rather just die than to deal with any more of this. Just let me die. He went from being so bold and so courageous to, to being so on fire for God that he literally called fire down from heaven to burn up an altar, as we're going to see in a moment, to now being in this place where he's like, I would rather just die. Just let me die. How does this happen? How, how do we get here? But don't we do this too in our own life? When we face a little bit of adversity... We have a little bit of a challenge or, or something becomes a little bit difficult or we get a little discouraged in something that God has told us to do and our first reaction is not buckle down and, 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 and really just hold on to God and be faithful. It's, well, I, I probably ought to just quit. Or, or maybe God wasn't really calling me to do that in the first place. I'm not sure if that was really my calling. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I misheard God. And so we just say, God, I think I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give up. I'm going to quit. We face a little bit of adversity and we throw in the towel. I've been there. I'm sure many of you have probably felt that before or experienced that before in your life. Keep this in mind. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes. When Elijah was under attack, he had forgotten what God had done. He had forgotten what God had done in his life. And this is, what, what did he forget? Well, we're going to read it. Jump back to chapter 18. Chapter 18, and I'm going to read just a few of the verses out of this because this is a huge passage, but I want to kind of like paraphrase some of it and then read some of it. So essentially what happens is that Elijah goes and he has an encounter with King Ahab. King Ahab is kind of ticked off, you know, it hasn't rained in the land and all that and, and three, three and a half years and he, he, he sees Elijah and he calls him a troubler. He says, you've been making nothing but trouble for Israel. And Elijah's like, hold on, time out. I'm not the one making trouble here. It's you and your wife. You guys have turned against God, and you're the ones that have caused this. It's not me. He says, and so, so they're going to have a showdown. He says, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed uh, the, these other gods. And in verse 19, it says this, Now summon the people from all over Israel, to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, I, I, that last line stuck out to me as I was reading through this this week. Why mention that? Why say, who, who cares where they eat? I think it's significant because it's showing that they are in such close relationship King Ahab and Jezebel are in such close relationship with these people who are not God's prophets, who are not living their life for the one true God, 
that they dine with them at their table. I mean, how many of you just randomly invite people you don't even know or don't even like over to eat at your table? Most of us probably not, right? We're even a little bit picky about our own friends, you know? We're like, I don't know if I really want you to come over. You eat a lot, you know? I mean, you know, and and you complain about my cooking, you know? But no, they're so close that they dine at their table regularly. So that's significant. That's significant. And so they meet up at Mount Carmel, and he basically says to them, you know, you've been wavering back and forth between serving God and serving the prophets of Baal. You got to make a decision. You can't keep doing this. And then verse 22 says this. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And so they begin to do this. And it's like a day of it. They make a day out of it. And, and the prophets of Baal and Asher, they're calling on their, their, their God, and nothing is happening. They're just shouting and some other things that if you read the text, you'll see. I don't think that we need to talk about it in front of children. It's kind of a little bit graphic little HBO-ish, you know, and so we don't need to talk about it with the children in the room, but read it. It's, it's fascinating stuff. It's, it's, it's crazy stuff that they're doing, but I find one of my favorite, one of the reasons this is my favorite passage is because of this. Elijah begins to mock them, and the way he mocks them is by saying, maybe your God is busy relieving himself. Maybe he's off in the bathroom and can't, get out of the bathroom. I mean, can you imagine doing it? I mean, that's, that's just funny to me. Like, like maybe he had some sketchy dinner tonight and he can't get off the toilet. Yes, you can laugh at that. That's okay. I, I feel like you're holding that back. Like, I want to laugh, but is it okay to laugh about that in church? Yes, diarrhea is funny. You know, <laughs> maybe he had a bad case of that. You know, maybe something wasn't quite right in his stomach and he can't come and hear you right now. He's too busy. And, and that, just, that is just laughable to me. Like, I find that absolutely hilarious. And then Elijah finally gets his turn. And he's like, all right, step aside. You have wasted too much of our time. And he comes in and he begins to call on God. And what he does before he does that is so not Boy Scout-ish. If you know how to make a fire... You know that what Elijah is about to do is not a recipe for a fire. He has some people get these jars, big jars, fill them full of water and begin to dump them on the the altar and dump them on the offering. I don't know if you've ever made a fire before, but I don't usually start out by putting water on it. Uh, In fact, every time I've ever tried to make a fire with wet wood, it just hours of standing there you know with lighter fluid and all of the things and it just makes smoke it does it's useless it's a complete waste and he does this like three times four jars just just till it's till it's overflowing they dug a trench around it and it's literally full of water and then he begins to pray verse uh, 36 I don't think I have that one up there but I'll read it anyways it says, at the time of the sacrifice, <clears throat> the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. And then verse 37, answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you are Lord, our God. And that you are turning their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God had done something yet again supernatural in, in and through Elijah's life. Yet how quickly he had forgotten. This happens and just a few moments later, he's ready to die. He's hiding out, ready to end it all. Jump back with me, chapter 19, verse 5. <coughs> Sorry. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Now, does this seem somewhat familiar to you at all in your own life? Think about this for a second. Isn't it so true that when we go through difficult circumstances or we're experiencing a, a tragedy or, or a trial of some kind that we often feel like we're the only ones in the world that know what it's like to go through that? You ever been there? We, we often go, that, go to that place that like nobody in the whole world, how many billions, like seven billion, what is it, people on this planet? No one knows what I'm going through. I'm the only one left who does right at my house anyways I don't know I mean that's how I feel the only one left that does right I'm the only one left who knows what it's like to go through this experience or to struggle with this whatever it be you probably don't want to admit it but I bet you've been there before right where you feel like man no one knows what I'm going through right now but yet that's so not true. In fact, the scriptures talk about this idea that, that whatever we go through in this life is what's common to man. Meaning that there's probably someone out there somewhere who's experienced exactly what you're going through. Now, they may have responded to it differently than you. They may have dealt with it with a different perspective than you. But odds are not one of us in here is going to ever go through something that someone else hasn't already probably been through. That's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty. And, and okay, maybe, maybe not in this community, but I bet. I bet even in this small community that there are people in here who've gone through some of the same things that you're going through. Or they at least know somebody who has and they can share from that wisdom and come alongside you and say, hey, you know what? You're not alone in this. You're not alone in this. I, I went through this, or, or my wife went through this, or, or we know somebody who, who dealt with this and, and would love to get you connected. And isn't that this is the beauty of what this faith community is supposed to be and what the church is supposed to be as we gather around each other and go through life together and share in that experience? See, it wasn't true for Elijah either. He thinks he's alone, but he wasn't. 
There was actually a man named Obadiah who had went, went around at the time. He was a believer who worked for the king. And, and in, in a time when Jezebel was killing all of God's prophets, he went and took a hundred of them and hid 50 in one cave and 50 in another. See, I think that there are plenty of Obadiahs out there in our life who've gone through the same experiences we have. And we just need to find them and tell them our story so that they can come alongside us and say, hey, let me tell you my story of how I dealt with that. That's just free of charge. That has nothing, that is, I don't even, that's just extra this morning. Look at verse 11. Here's what happens after that. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. <clears throat> But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Sounds like he's on repeat here. I've been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. What you see if you continue to read out the passages is that God begins to, as we said early on in this series in the first week, then the word of the Lord came to him. And Elijah never did anything until the word of the Lord came to him. And this is that moment where God speaks to him and finally gives him directions on what he's supposed to do next. But I want to just stop here and kind of close with this concept and this idea as we look at what happens here. Because, see, I think that when we are under attack, when we face attack, when our faith comes under attack, so often what happens is that we begin to listen to the wrong voices. We're listening to the wrong things. And so let me ask you this morning, church, let me just, for, to, to the ladies first, ladies and moms and wives, what voices do you listen to in your life? What voices do you listen to? Do you listen to the voices of Facebook and Pinterest and TV and shows that say, you're never going to be pretty enough and good enough and you're not going to be, your life's not going to be perfect enough that your kids, despite the fact that you work a full-time job and, and you still manage to get food on the table and, and they do get to school dressed, not always matched, not always well together, but they make it, right? You know, but that, that, that's never going to be good enough. Because what we see online says that, no, actually they have to match and they have to look perfect and there has to be comb just so and they need little notes in their lunchbox that say you love them, otherwise you're not a good mom. And, and all, I mean, isn't it true that we listen to that stuff though? I mean, I've seen it in my life. There's someone in my house that struggles with hearing those voices that say you're never going to be pretty enough because this is what it means to be pretty. And you're not going to live up to that. Or that you're never going to be a good enough mom because you have to work. And how messed up is that? How screwed up is that? That that's the voices we often listen to. Dads, men, husbands. What voices do we listen to? 
Do we listen to the voices that say, this is what it means to raise a son and that he's got to grow up and to be a man, he has to do certain things and like certain things and he can't like other things and that we should treat women a certain way because that's what the world says we should do? And I'm speaking a little vague. I'm hoping you're getting me because there's some things I'd like to say, but I don't want to say in front of the children. You know what I mean? Okay. Some of you get it. Others of you will pray for you later. Um, but the, the world tells us a lot of dumb stuff that we should think and the way that we should act and the things that we should do and the things that we should say. And that's what it means to be a man. That's what it means to be a father and a good husband. And the strange thing is, is that Jesus says a lot of different stuff when you read what he says. And they don't usually line up. And so what voices are we listening to? Hopefully not Pinterest and Facebook. See, those voices are usually wrong. And when we face attack, the voices that we need to be listening so often are the, is the quietest voice. It's the gentle whisper. It's the, it's the whisper that if we're too loud, we might miss it. If we're not paying attention, we're not looking in the right place, we just might miss it. And so we've got to train ourselves to ignore the fire and hear the whisper. Elijah was looking in all the wrong places. And when he came under attack, he, he, he didn't have his eyes fixed on the right things. He, he was quick to fall into a depression and, and to get upset and to be distracted and say, you know what, I, I better just, I might as well just die. I might as well just die. He was listening to the wrong voices. He had forgotten that he had just defeated Jezebel and her prophets. That he had just had a victory on Mount Carmel. That he had, God just did something amazing in him. That he rained down fire from heaven to burn up the altar. And that he out allowed him to withhold rain from the land for three and a half years. He, he forgot about the fact that he ran outran uh, King Ahab 14 miles while he was in his chariot. And he was just running. He'd forgotten about that. In a moment of adversity and challenge, he forgot what God had done. And don't we so often do that too? Don't we? As, as a mom or as a wife or husband or, or dad or, or maybe even as a boss at work and lead, as a leader, we, we, we allow ourselves to get focused on the wrong things. So what do we do when we face this kind of attack? What do we do when our faith comes under attack or we're, we're tempted to listen to the wrong voices? Well, uh, this, is, this is my first point here as we close up. I just have three things that I want to kind of look at. And I've said them, most of them already, but I want to go in a little bit detail here. Is the first thing that we got to do is we cannot forget what God has done. What has God done in your life? I mean, we hear testimonies from time to time. You know, people stand up and they'll share what God has done. But, but let me ask you, and I wanna, I'm just going to give a moment's pause. But I want you to really think about this for a second. What has God done in your life? What has he done? Nothing? I doubt it. I bet he's done something. I bet he has. I bet he's brought you through some seasons of difficulty. I bet he's provided for you in times when you didn't know how you were going to make it. 
I bet he's moved in your life and be it in your family or somebody that you work with or know. And it was an amazing thing. He's probably brought healing to somebody that you know or care about or prayed for. I bet he's answered prayers for, your, for yourself or your family or your children or for somebody that you know. At the very least, if you could stand up and say, well, I don't even believe any of this stuff. This is all dumb. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even believe in Jesus. I can tell you, if you think he's done nothing for you at all, that he is at least died on a cross for you and offered you grace and mercy and forgiveness for all eternity if you would choose to surrender your life to him. So if you don't believe any of it, he's at least done that. At least. So what has God done for you? He's been good to you. And this kind of calls back to what we talked about last week. If you remember, we said that we need to store up for the future God's blessings. Well, this is that. Because there's going to come a day when life gets hard in and somebody attacks you and, and maybe you go through another dry season and you want to be able to pull out those times and say, you know what? I'm not going to get distracted in this moment because I remember what God has done in my life in the past. I remember. For me, I think of times when God has provided for us financially. I'll never forget this. It always sticks out to me as like one of the first things that comes to mind. And I know I've shared it before, but when our vehicle broke down, we had our van broke down. And, and I remember some people got together and took up a collection of money to help us pay to fix it. And, and the thing that stuck out to me was not so much the paying to fix it, but the fact that when I wrote the check and paid the, the money, I had $5 left over in cash and could buy junk food out of the vending machine for the girls. I mean, that is a silly, silly, silly thing. But God cares about stupid stuff like that. He does. Because we do. Because we do. And so he cares. Second thing. Sorry, I was... Man. We cannot forget... What God has done. Second thing, Charlotte, if you would. We cannot forget. Yeah, Charlotte's the one running the thing back there, just so you know. We cannot forget what God has said. We cannot forget what God has said. And this should be the easiest one, but for some reason I think this is the one that gets pushed to the back burner. Here's why it should be so easy. We have God's word on our phones. At our fingertips. I mean, church, you don't even have to go to a bookstore and buy a Bible anymore. You can download a free app on your phone that you have with you everywhere, even in the bathroom, most of you, myself included. Never go to the bathroom without it. Amen. Amen. I mean, what else would I do in there? <laughs> Seriously, you know. Free. Any version I want. King James, Message, NIV, NLT, several I don't even know what they are. You know what I mean? Any version I want. Right here. Right here. Yet so often, I forget. I set it aside and say, well, maybe when I get some time, if I remember to do it, 
And I'm, I'm, I'm the worst offender. I have seasons, I look back on my life and think, man, I was so in the word here and so in the word here. And then what happened? I don't know. It just got, something happened. I got distracted. I got my eyes off, the, off on the wrong things. I forgot what God had said. Or, or, and, and, and yet, this is the thing that we should constantly be reaching for. The thing that we should constantly be calling on because we have the promises of God, the words of Jesus at our fingertips, and we can defeat the enemy's attacks with the words and the promises of Jesus. He has no power over us because we have the word of God. Third thing. We cannot forget what God has made. Now this is a little bit twofold here. We see, I believe that God has made you to do great things. I believe that. I, I, I believe that about all of us. Whether you believe it about yourself or not, I don't know. But I believe that God has made you to do great things. And that he wants to do great things in your life. He has made us to do great things. In fact, Jesus said that we would do even greater things than he did. We would do even greater things than he. But here's the second part of this. We have to keep in mind, sometimes we come under attack and it's just circumstances. It's material things or it's car breaks down, a house, something like, you know, that you can't always help. But sometimes we come under attack by another person. And God has made them too. Right? I mean, we got to remember that. That God has made them too to do great things. They just may not realize it. And so we have to remember that so that we don't make it about us versus them. Or them versus us and become an attack thing where we then start to attack them. Because we feel like it's our prerogative, they've come and attacked us, so we're just going to do it right back to them. But may we remember in those moments that God has made them and that our purpose is to do like it was for Elijah with, king, with the king and queen. See, he didn't just destroy the prophets and, and do all that so that he could humiliate the king and queen. But as I said last week, so that he could bring them back to himself. He was using Elijah to get King Ahab and, King Je and Queen Jezebel to turn back to the one true God. And he may be using you to put you in that situation where that person is attacking you every day at work or every day at school or every day wherever it is that it, they're in your life, in your family, so that you can be the person that turns them back to Jesus. Maybe back or to, for the first time to Jesus. But we have to remember that God has made them too. And we are made for spreading the love of Jesus to the rest of God's creation that doesn't always know they are God's creation. That they are God's children. And they are made just like us on purpose with a purpose. So today... As we close this series out, I want to sing the song that we sang earlier, the Sea of Victory, again.
And I want to let that to be our, our cry and our anthem as we worship together. Church, if you need to come and pray, feel free to come to the altar and pray. But I want this to be our anthem as we worship together and, and sing out. Because I believe that we're going to come under attack. At some point, we're going to come under attack. But we serve a God who only knows how to win. It's not like our favorite sports team who's prone to losing or whatever. It's we serve a God who only knows how to win. Only. The words are like this. I'm going to read them. Even though we sang them earlier, I want to read them. It's kind of our prayer. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve only knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to the Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war He wages, He will win. I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how this story ends. I'm going to worship my way through this battle. That's how we fight, church, is that we worship through the battle. You take what the enemy... and this line, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Whatever attack you're under right now in your life, know this. God wants to take that and turn it into something good in your life. He wants to use it for something great at your workplace, at your school, at your home, in your family, in your marriage. If you're going through a difficult time right now in some way, don't look at it as something bad. Change the perspective and say, okay, God, how do you want to use this for good? Amen. Let's, let's, yeah, let's just stand together and worship this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we find hope and peace and just joy in knowing that God, you take what, what Satan tries to throw at us, what, what was meant for evil, God, what was meant to harm us, what was meant to tear us down, what was meant to destroy us. You take that and you turn it into something good. God, you use it to, to bring us through the season, to bring us through the difficulty, to, to prepare us for what's next. God, you use those things to, to make us into the people that you want us to be. God, help us to not miss that because we're focused on the wrong things or we have the wrong perspective in the midst of our circumstances. God, help us to, to truly never forget what you've done in our life. God, in the past or what you're doing right now even, may we see it, may we be aware of it. May we remember your promises, Lord. And we remember that you've made us and you've made this moment for something great. Jesus, I just ask that you would go with us this morning as we leave this place. May we leave feeling refreshed, feeling just new life and in, in a boldness, God, a, a courageousness to go out of this place and take on the world, Lord, to to trust that you're doing something great in our lives and you want to do something great through us 
wherever we go, God, whether it be at work or in our family or in the grocery store or at a restaurant, God, that, that you can use us to build your kingdom here in Muncie and beyond. God, may we win the battle through our worship. Go with us, Jesus. We love you, and we thank you for this day and this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you have a great week, church. We look forward to seeing you back next week as we worship together in revival.